Welcome to Indoor Air Quality Radio, IAQ Radio. It's Friday, December 9th, 2016. My name is Radio Joe Hughes, coming to you live from Greenville, South Carolina. We're at the Greenville Technical College Buck Nickel Center. Got a class going on today, so we're going to flash back to a show we did in 2007 with my co-host, the Z-Man. And we're going to talk a little bit about odor control, odor investigation, and all about odors today. So uh, we'll be back live again next Friday at noon. Sit back, relax, and uh, listen with me in the class to a great show, even though it's a little older. All the things that Cliff talks about are still applicable today. Before we get started, let's thank our marquee sponsors. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at their website, jondon.com. That's jondon.com. Clean Facts, the number one information source for cleaning and restoration professionals. Check them out at cleanfactswithanx.com. IEQ.net and Healthy Indoors Magazine, a free online digital magazine for industry professionals and consumers. Subscriptions are available at iaq.net. And Particles Plus. They are engineers and manufacturers of feature-rich particle counters, air quality monitoring instrumentation, and vacuum pump technology. Particlesplus.com. Count on us. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IAQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products. And oh. Smell, a horrible, horrible smell. It'll make you sneeze and fall on your knees and cry you don't feel well. And if anyone should ask you, just look at them and yell, say, Oh, the smell, the horrible, horrible smell. All right. Well done. <laughs> Cliff, let's let's uh go to the same question with you. When you teach these odor courses, what how do you teach what an odor is? Well, really, I think that good doctor, as always, gave a great you know, scientific definition of what an odor really is. But more simply, it's really a gas that people notice, and they perceive it, whether they perceive it as positive, as negative, or indifferent. It's going to get a reaction. Okay. I smell something sticky. <laughs> and... Now, these odors that you deal with all the time or have been dealing with for 30 years, are they a significant part of um, the problems that you find restoration contractors deal with? I think it's even more basic than that. I think odors are significant in our daily lives, and we really don't think about it. You know, as we have all men in the studio today, the four of us, first of all, there's the men test. You know, I don't know how many of us are going to admit besides myself of drinking milk right out of the container. And, you know, what do we do before we drink it? You know, a lot of times we sniff. So odors are significant in procurement of food. We can tell whether it's fresh or stale. Uh, animals use odors to detect or repel enemies. Uh, animals and different species use odors for sexual functions. You know, animals mark their territory. There are certain smells that we would consider to be erotic, and there are certain smells that we might consider not to be erotic. Uh, odor is used to reject the unsuitable. You know, for instance, if you have a you know, a bunch of hamsters, baby hamsters, and you put a mouse, baby mouse in there, they can smell the difference and they can re you know, reject the unsuitable. You know, some species are pretty highly adapted uh, odor-wise, either to uh, perceive them or to project them. And as Dieter said, our human nose is really very sensitive, much more sensitive than some pretty sophisticated scientific equipment. All right. What about odor masking? What exactly is odor masking, Cliff? You know, it's really a term that I have some trouble with. My definition is really someone has made a poor choice in order to eliminate an odor. So we've got an odor problem in the room. Someone reaches for something and they apply it, and then you have this drastic contrast between one odor and the other, and it appears that you're trying to cover something up. It appears that you're trying to hide. It's just really a bad choice 
And let's talk a little bit about how we treat and eliminate odors. First of all, I guess we should differentiate quickly about, or maybe I'll just ask, can all odors be effectively treated and eliminated in the same way? Um, I would say yes and no. Okay, first of all, they can be treated and eliminated in the same way if we can get to the source and eliminate it or we can prevent it. Other than that, odors are really very, very different. Not all odors originate from the same source. Not all odors have the same intensity. So different tools or different procedures are going to be necessary to resolve different types of odor problems. Okay. And what are some of these tools? What are some effective odor removal methods that are commonly used? Well, I can give you a number of them. And let's see, one, uh, one would be adsorption. And that is where we use a solid to pick up and hold a gas. A good example of that is how respirators with cartridges work. They have activated carbon in there, and that activated carbon grabs the gas. Uh, that, and by grabbing that gas, it can protect us from that irritant. So adsorption is a very good odor control technique, especially where we're dealing with someone who may be chemically sensitive. So that's why we might use air scrubbers with activated carbon in there to try to remove uh, the odor. And I think a big misconception is that HEPA air scrubbers remove odors. They remove particulate. They don't necessarily remove odors. The next one would really be neutralization. And that's where we're going to have a chemical change. And where neutralization is used pretty effectively is in situations where we might have chlorine spills. And we can actually use chemicals in order to deal with that. There's a chemical called sodium uh, thiosulfate, and it actually neutralizes chlorine. It's actually the active ingredient in these drops that if you've ever, ever had an aquarium that you put in the water to eliminate the chlorine. And we've used that quite successfully. Over the years, we've had several situations where there would be swimming pool chemicals that had a lot of chlorine. Uh, they spill them in a large department store you have this tremendous odor problem in there and you know it's it's virtually instantaneous the reaction you know we would spray some dilute sodium thiosulfate in water you know on where the spill was we can fog it into the air works quite well so we've talked about adsorption and neutralization another one is oxidation and we can use an oxidizing chemical which oxidizing is really slow burning either in a liquid form such as chlorine or hydrogen peroxide, or we can deal with it in a gaseous state, which is what an ozone machine does. Biocides or antimicrobials are another tool for odor removal, and we would use these in order to deal with biologically produced odors, such as, um, you know, decay, uh, things like that, mold, mildew, bacterially related odors. Uh, we can also use what's called bioenzymatic digestion, and that can be used in a couple of different ways. It's commonly used for pet odor removal, where we use enzymes, and their purpose is to chew up or to digest the odor-causing material. And in sewage remediation, particularly on soil and crawl spaces, uh, they can be used uh, quite effectively. The last one is what I would call counteraction. And that's what we use on a complex odor such as smoke odor, where we try to eliminate the odor through multiple steps because it's a very complex odor. No one step is going to be effective. We generally need to do multiple things. So those multiple things would include trying to get, I'm assuming this, trying to get rid of the source first is always the first step. Either removal that? of the source or some sort of containment of the source. Sometimes you physically may not be able to remove it. We can do what we call chemical containment where we would spray different types of chemicals on, the, on it, some of which might be film-forming chemicals where they'd actually dry to a film. Or we could do containment as we would do in mold where we can cover it up with plastic. Uh, as well. And, you know, we use a lot of the same techniques, uh, containment barriers, negative air pressurization, etc. Okay. And how, as far as uh, people per performing these types of services, how profitable can odor control and odor removal be? I think it depends um, on really what the risk is and really what the, the stakes are. You know, I can tell you that 
I've probably made on par per hour, you know, the same money as some pretty wealthy people, you know, in excess of a thousand dollars an hour for, you know, removing odor in some specific situations, such as where there might be a large uh, valuable inventory, department store, for instance, and they have smoke damage, and you know you have millions of dollars worth of inventory. They can't sell it as new because there's a smoke odor, and you can come in there and do the treatment. And it's all, almost like uh, waving a magic wand, and you know, one moment there's odor, and then after the process, you know, the odor has been removed. And because uh, you know some of the treatments are pretty fast, uh, you know, we can generate some pretty good income but certainly we don't charge a thousand dollars per that wasn't our rate going in <laughs> it was just that how long it took us to do it and how many cubic feet and you know based on the pricing that was allowed you know by the industry so uh, it can be pretty profitable my brother on the other hand has a pretty unique business he provides odor control in public washrooms and they essentially have routes and they go into restaurants and bars and nightclubs and hotels and airports and so on and so forth and they're there on a monthly basis just dealing with those restroom odors and every one of those little machines that they put in there is you know so many dollars per month five six ten dollars a month and uh, they've got quite a good business in terms of you know they literally have thousands of these machines out and pretty good revenue stream coming in each month I would imagine there are times though when it could be uh, where you could spend a lot of time and effort and money and or resources and Maybe you wouldn't make do do very well. I guess I don't know. Absolutely, I, I think some odors are more challenging than others, and um, I think in certain situations you can do better than you can in other situations. But I think a lot of it's really judgment. I think you need to know number one, can this be resolved? Number two, do you have the uh, resources necessary in order to do it, or is this one of these situations where? You know, it's third down and long, <laughs> and on fourth down, we're just going to punt and, and, and get out of there. So I think, you, you, you know, you know you got to know when to hold them and know when to fold them, I think. Okay, good, good. Let's see if we can bring Dr. Wild back sure. on, see if he has any quick comments or suggestions or questions. Dieter? I, I, certainly, I certainly do have some comments and um, some ways of uh, taking care of odors. There was a... How should I put the deviant way? About 20 years ago, there was a company. I don't know the name of the company, and it really doesn't matter. And I'm pretty sure they're out of business. You know how they got out of smelling uh, odors in the house? No. How about anesthetizing your nose? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was vicious. I, uh, I knew about it. We tested it at the University of Pittsburgh. We knew what was going on. Uh, if somebody sells you something uh, that you can't smell it anymore, not because, <laughs> because it's there, but because your nose doesn't work, I don't, th I think, I don't think that is right. I just came back from uh, St. Croix uh, Island. Um, there are 95, I would say about and Cliff knows that too from Mexico, uh, where about 95% of the population cannot afford to button up a house. In other words, air condition it. They, you know, maybe they are ahead of us. You know, this is every time I look at that, you know, I mean, I would like to have a little bit of air conditioning and that cost me money and I look at that, but maybe an open window is a heck of a lot better than air conditioning. I don't know. Cliff knows it from Mexico. I know that. Uh, uh, you live uh, 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 on top of a mountain. You can open a window, and all of a sudden, you don't have an air pollution problem. But whenever we decided to button up our houses and do something about it, I think we made a mistake. Cliff? You know, going back to what Dieter said, I think he made an excellent point. Uh, there was a company whose uh, the second part of their name was WIC, and in any event, uh, they used to market this product, and the labeling was very interesting. And what it would say is 45 minutes to an hour before you anticipate the odor, what you would do is open the package and you would pull up the WIC. And what was in there was actually formaldehyde, and it would actually... 
uh, anesthetize your sense of smell, and then you wouldn't smell the malodor uh, when it came out. But I think that formaldehyde's gone out of these formulations uh, some time ago, as Dieter pointed out. I don't know. Do we still have Dieter on the line? Oh yes. Was that the was that the issue that you were dealing with, Dieter? Yeah, I, I think I just got unmuted. Okay. Yeah, I think that that may have been. I don't know. I didn't know what the ingredient was. Uh, okay. It was my dear my dear professor, uh, Dr. Korn, Martin Korn, uh, who taught me a lot of things in my life, uh, who pointed that out to us when I was a student at the University of Pittsburgh. And um, I, th I think it's deviant. I think it's deviant to do that to anybody, to sell your product that covers up something that's not good for you, and you don't smell it or you don't notice it anymore. I think that is not that is not right, and I'm yeah 100% against it. Well, it looks like they got uh, they're gone now anyway. Let's uh, let's move over to the pet odor issue here. I know we've got a lot of uh, listeners that have to deal with pet odors. And in fact, um, I know that there were some questions recently about, in particular, on one of the chat rooms I deal with on cat odor problems. Can oh, you comment on that a little sure, bit, Cliff? Sure. I think, first of all, the odor problems are pretty common. I think anyone that buys a living pet has the potential for an odor problem related to that pet. So it's not always dogs, it's not always cats, it can be birds and snakes and other types of rodents and, and so on and so forth. Um, you know, as far as cats, cats, um, you know, an interesting thing about cats is I've had cats as pets and seen people that have cats as pets. And, you know, one of the amazing things is that, you know, cats, I think, are attracted by sound. You get out this can of cat food and, you know, the, the, the sound of the electric opener oh, yeah. opening it, you know, the cat will all of a sudden jump up. What's amazing is it seems to me that they have a very poor sense of smell. You know, the cat will be, like, sniffing all around. The can's right in front of them, and, like, they're <laughs> sniffing in the air like they, they have a hard time finding it. And, you know, one of the things I think is that cats in general have a less keen sense of smell than dogs do. I mean, you've never heard of a blood cat, but you have these bloodhounds and, you know, so on and so forth. And I guess if they're going to use it as sexual attractant and marking the territory that the urine needs to be a little bit stronger than it would be, you know, for other types of species. Plus they have a, you know, they're, they're not as big, they have a pretty high protein diet, and I think the urine has a tendency to be stronger. And, you know, they have this territorial yeah. spray. And, you know, with odors, you have really two problems. One is when the animal is going through this bodily function, they're making a number one and they're making a number two. The second problem is, is when they're marking their territories. So typically you have a couple of places where they tend to go a lot because they're creatures of habit. Then you have these other areas, uh, you know, where they mark their territory. Now, how do you locate? Oh, that's marking somebody's territory there. Anyway, how do you locate these areas in a in a home when you're you know because you you want to focus on source first and right. then it's it's a, it's a very good point and uh, I had the answer. Uh, my family had a pest control business for many years, and we would utilize black lights, UVA, ultraviolet lights, in order to track rodents. Uh, and you could actually, it would make the urine fluoresce. And I'm sure that I was the first person, this is in the early 70s, that ever used a black light for pet odor removal inside of houses. And once we mm -hmm. could figure out exactly where the urine was, then it was a little bit easier to, to treat because, you know, we could kind of zero in on it. So then what treatment do you do after you find the odor? First, you've got to try, I guess, cleaning it up as best you can. Well, I think that there are a number of mistakes that, that, that people really make. Okay. The, the first is really this cumulative effect. You never really think about it, but you know, every time an animal urinates, let's say it goes you know, four ounces at a time, let's say. And how many times a day is it going to do that? Like twice a day. So we got eight ounces a day. They're going to do it 30 days. That's 240 ounces. You know, you don't think about it, but over a year, it's like 22 and a half gallons, and now you know why you can have a pretty serious odor problem. And that's one small dog that, you know, kind of stays in the house. So first of all, you have this cumulative effect. People don't realize the sheer volume uh, of urine that can actually be in there. The second thing is I think people go stupid as soon as they go in their house. 
you know, if you've ever walked a dog and, you know, you, uh, I've got a male dog and I walk him and, you know, every, you know, he sniffs every bush, he sniffs every car tire, he sniffs every fire plug and, you know, he ends up marking his territory in all these places. People go stupid when they get in their house. They forget that animals don't know the difference whether they're inside or they're outside and they're going to have the same habits and the same behavior and they forget about vertical surfaces. So in many situations, the animal was peeing on something and then it runs down that something and ends up getting onto the carpet. The next thing is that liquid seeks its own level. So what happens is as liquid, it's warm, uh, there's a volume of it. So it's going to work its way down through the carpet, into the padding, into the flooring, into these other building materials. So I think the big issue is number one, finding it. Number two, uh, allowing for this cumulative effect and then being sure that whatever treatments that you have get to where they need to be. Uh, also, you have to realize when it's time to punt. You know, there's certain materials such as carpet padding that are relatively inexpensive uh, to replace and sometimes you're better off uh, replacing them. Uh, another couple of common problems, and I see this happen unfortunately too often, is people that'll they'll buy a new home or else they have a situation where they have pretty severe animal contamination and they do the best that they can, which really isn't enough, and then they buy new carpet, then they buy new flooring materials, and then it still smells. Uh, I've seen the same situation where they try to paint over it. They go out, they buy latex paint, you know, they'll repaint the whole place, and they still end up having these odor problems. And the resolution normally is we need to go back to the source. We need to effectively, you know, remove it, decontaminate it, and treat it. From a chemical standpoint, two primary methods are used. One is this uh, bioenzymatic digestion where we're going to use genetically engineered organisms to chew this up and to digest it. Another would be encapsulation. And there we use solvent-based odor counteractants that actually, when they dry, dry to a salt. There's actually a microscopic salt that ends up being deposited on those heavy sources of contamination that could not be otherwise removed. All right. Well, let's, uh, if, I think this is a good time to take a quick break. And thanks to our association sponsors, the Indoor Air Quality Association, a nonprofit multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Visit them at iaqa.org. The Restoration and Specialty Cleaners Association have been serving the needs of and advocating for their members for over 30 years. Remember, Triska is your link to industry training, certification, standards, and events. Their website is trsca.org. Thanks to our advertisers. Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, who use advanced sensor technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them at wolfsense.com. Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years. Visit them at legends-enviro.com and, of course, our marquee sponsors. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at their website, jondon.com. That's jondon.com. Clean Facts, the number one information source for cleaning and restoration professionals. Check them out at cleanfactswithanx.com. IAQ.net and Healthy Indoors Magazine, a free online digital magazine for industry professionals and consumers. Subscriptions are available at IAQ.net. And Particles Plus. They are engineers and manufacturers of feature-rich particle counters air quality monitoring instrumentation, and vacuum pump technology. Particlesplus.com. Count on us. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products. Let's move on. I've got the, the biggest odor issue of them all, at least that's what I understand. I know it happened to me once. Skunk odors. How do we deal with these skunk odors, Cliff? Okay, well, first of all, um, skunks are mammals, and the only reason that I bring that to your attention is that most homeowners' policies have what's called a rodent exclusion. 
uh, and rodents would be mice and rats and, and things like that. And the only reason I bring it up is that skunks are not excluded because they're mammals. They're actually part of the weasel family, so it's a covered loss. Excellent and, tip. And, and it's not unusual for insurance companies to deny it uh, because essentially the adjusters may not know. Excellent tip for uh, listeners. A couple of things not to do. Don't use uh, tomato juice. That's one of those old wives' tales that never really worked. And uh, I, I've seen people use it extensively uh, within their home on their dog. They put it on their carpet. And, you know, then you have this fermented tomato juice. doesn't smell very good. <laughs> I, be- I believe they uh, tackled this subject on Mythbusters as well. Okay, cool. I believe they did. Uh, let's talk a little bit about how the losses generally occur. I would say about half of them occur where an, an animal encounters the skunk outside, a dog or a cat or whatever, you know, chases the skunk and, you know, then gets sprayed and then they come into the house because the spray is oily and it's an irritant and they carry it into the house and then they begin rubbing and furniture and so on and so forth. I'd say the other half are where, where the skunks actually burrow, you know, underneath a house. In any case, what we found works best is really using oxidizing agents. Uh, You can use uh, chlorine dioxide, anthium dioxide, chlorine bleach works very, very well in dealing with it. And I've got a great remedy that I'd like to give our uh, listening audience. This is a great do-it-yourself remedy, works very, very well. You mix one quart of hydrogen peroxide with one quarter cup of baking soda and one teaspoon of dishwashing liquid. It ends up being like Alka-Seltzer. It's an effervescent solution. Works very, very well. It gives you the oxidizing, gives you the penetration. Works very, very well. And you put that on? Uh, You can put it on materials. You can put it on the animals. Uh, Etc. Works very, very well. Oh, I learned the hard way that tomato juice doesn't work on, <laughs> on a dog I had many years back. Uh, okay, let's move on to uh, dead animals in interstitial cavities. That's a beauty there. We get, I get a ton of squirrels up in my area and um, chipmunks and squirrels. How do you, how do you handle that? One of the big challenges is trying to find out where they are. You know, you end up having this. You notice an odor. And then all of a sudden, you notice it gets stronger, and it gets stronger, and it gets stronger. As the animal goes through these different stages of decomposition, it gets stronger and stronger. Then all of a sudden, it becomes unbearable, and that's generally where it peaks. And then it starts really going on to the downside. So rather than getting a sledgehammer and just ripping open the walls and and so on and so forth, I've I've developed an interesting method of locating where they're at. And I really call the method biological location. You know, one of the interesting things that our listeners will notice is that whenever you have food around, you kind of have flies around. And if you can get some meat, you know, such as hamburger that's not cooked, and what I'll actually do is take a large trash bag, put it in a wastebasket, take some hamburger meat, raw meat, and put it in the base of that plastic bag. And within minutes, you'll generally begin to attract flies. And what I want to do is capture the flies inside that bag. Then I take the bag into the room where I have this problem, release the flies, and they will immediately locate hmm. where the animal is and they'll, they'll light. So where you see the fly on the wall or on the ceiling, right behind it, they can actually smell the gases from the decomposition coming through the material and then that's where you're going to cut and make your access opening you know to remove the animal and then typically we're going to treat that again with an oxidizing solution uh, peroxide uh, chlorine anthium dioxide chlorine dioxide something like that tends to work the best on those all right well we just had a, a spate of fire problems out on the southern california coast let's talk a little bit about fire related odors sure and uh what what's important first of all to know about how fire related odors might be different from other odors or are they well i think they are they are different when the source of you know out in california most of the odors were external uh, it's more common uh, here in the east that we don't have forest fires. Most of the odors sources are going to be internal. The building, you know, catches on fire. And what people need to know is that when we have charred wood, when we have burnt building materials, these are long-lasting odors. So if we don't deal with it, we're going to have trouble with it later. The amount of oxygen available during the fire is a key component 
the level of odor. Believe it or not, the worst smoke odors are those that are oxygen starved, they're smoldering, because they build up pressure very, very slowly. And then the pressure uh, works its way in, the smoke works its way into all sorts of cavities and, and cracks and crevices. Um, also, there are different types of smoke odor, and it really depends on the type of source. There's natural smoke odor when we have wooden paper burning. There's synthetic smoke odor when we burn plastics. And really, one of the most stubborn to eliminate is actually what we call a protein odor uh, that actually occurs from burnt meat to burned food. And we're going to be coming up on these every time there's a holiday. People are cooking turkeys and hams, and you know they have autumn. It's like the only time uh, many wives cook is for the holidays, and they don't necessarily know how to cook the oven, and you know they end up uh, kind of overdoing it <laughs> and carbonizing everything that's there. And you don't really think about it, but you might have a 20-pound turkey, a 20-pound ham. You carbonize that to where there's nothing left but carbon, you end up having 20 pounds of fat and flesh being evenly distributed over every surface you know, inside the house, and that can be pretty challenging in terms of deodorization. These protein odors generally require very heavy cleaning. So heavy cleaning, and then pretty much it seems like the same types of uh, steps are pretty common. You know? Yeah, there are. There are a couple of steps that are pretty common. We're very much in favor of a multi-step procedure, and this multi-step procedure considers the source uh, from which the odors are emanating, uh, deals with the air, deals with duplicating the penetration um, that's produced by the fire when it pressurizes, and you know, this boils a lot of gases, and you pressurize inside the house when the temperature rises. So we really, really will deal with it on three different levels, source, air, and then materials. Okay, and is there a different method for handling the materials with the protein versus another type of fire? Or I think the protein just more, more cleaning because uh, it's a film-forming residue. You end up having this very sticky, greasy, tarry residue. What type of uh, what type of soap or detergent or whatever works best on that type of a Typically, you're going to need a degreasing agent, and you can either get naturally derived ones that are based on the limonene and orange oils and things like that, or you can use the more conventional type degreasers, such uh, as Fantastic 409 or products available within the industry, which are uh, based on a chemical called a glycol ether. Okay, great. Now, let's go to, uh, with respect... With respect to these smoke uh, odors, um, at what stage in the project should the smoke odor removal be performed? So, you know, you're going in, you've got soot to clean up, you've got this, you've got that. When when does the... I'm going to do it very early. It's one of the, fir the first two things I'm going to deal with are smoke odor removal and HVAC system you know, cleaning and deodorizing. The reason I want to deodorize early is sometimes uh, the odors are deceiving. I've had what smells like a very severe smoke odor, which actually responds very well to odor removal processes. And in other situations, I have one that doesn't smell so bad, but it's just really, really stubborn. So we want to do this early because we want access to the odor the same way that the fire had access to the different building materials. We want the same access. We want to be in there before they paint, before they cover anything up. Okay. And what about the mistakes that contractors make with respect to removing these types of odors? What are the big mistakes? I think the biggest mistake is thinking that the odor is going to go away on its own. It doesn't. You know, it may dissipate, but it's not going to totally go away on its own. Uh, oftentimes, uh, we, we see situations where they, uh, because they're, particularly if they're doing work in the summer, they open the windows, they open the doors, there's a lot of air passing through. And they, so what happens is they close they close up, you know, they'll close up the wall cavities, you know, they, they make their repairs and what they end up doing is building over or closing over odor sources. And then those odors have a tendency to work their way out, you know, through pressurization, negative pressurization uh, inside the house, <laughs> et cetera, and they have a problem. They commonly try to paint over them as well. I, I see a lot of situations where they go out and they buy different types of paints or coatings, and rather than cleaning, they think it's going to be easier to paint over top of it, and that odor has a tendency to permeate 
through like a latex coating pretty easily. So in time, it will be back. Yep. And what about as far as customers out there, homeowners, what kind of guarantees or warranties can they expect after a smoke odor removal project? I would demand a warranty. I would demand a written warranty uh, and not a couple of months or, you know, my experience is that if you, if you've eliminated it for a year, you've eliminated it permanently, permanently. That year allows you to go through all the, uh, the climatic changes of humidity and temperature. And, you know, typically if you're going to have a callback on an odor problem, it's generally related to high temperature and high humidity. I've, I've heard this and maybe you can clear this up for me that, um, Sometimes after people have had a, a fire in their home and there's been odor removal, uh, it's tough for them to get that out of their, you know, it, there may not be the odor there anymore, but they have a psychological reaction. Is that, is that a myth or is that? I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you my opinion on it, Joe. My opinion is that in my experience, I can honestly tell you that I've never had a customer smell smoke odor in their house and I didn't smell it as well whether I was diagnosing a problem from our own company or, uh, you know, from someone else's company. You know, in general, women have a keener sense of smell than men do. You know, it's either there or it's not there. And I think a lot of times it's there. And there are a couple of ways that you can antagonize it in order to determine whether it's there or not. I, I've taken a little spray bottle of water, sprayed it on that surface, taken a hair dryer in order to try to, you know, create those... those situations where odors more noticeable with high temperature or water you know sometimes i've covered areas in plastic and tape to try to you know accumulate odor uh, in that area so i can determine whether it's there whether it's not okay so that's that's great new uh information and let's move on to the tobacco related odors i i know i'm going to have a problem to deal with one of these days my loving mother's 72 and she smokes like a like a bandit, and uh, that place is going to have tobacco odors for years to come. We're going to have to clean them up. What's uh, what's the best way to clean up those tobacco odors? I think going back, it's really the cumulative thing. You know, I used to be a smoker, and my wife used to be a smoker. And, you know, if you take a pack and a half a day smoker, that, that's 30 cigarettes. And they're at home like your mom all day. You don't really think about it, but if you smoke 30 cigarettes a day, and you do this for 365 days... That's about 11,000 cigarettes a year. And if she's been smoking in that house for five years or for 10 years, you know, you can have hundreds of thousands of cigarettes that have actually, you know, been combusted. And it's really incomplete combustion. You get tar, you get resin, and it actually forms a film. And it actually forms this yellowish film, uh, you know, on surfaces and it builds up. So really, a lot of the odor emanates and builds up from that film. The most effective way to deal with the odor problem is deal with that film. You need to counteract the odor on that film, or you need to remove that film, again, through heavy cleaning and, and deodorization. In certain situations, you can contact spray it, and there are products on the market you know, that are made specifically for smoke odor removal. You're still going to have to clean, though, and you're still going to have to paint because these surfaces end up being permanently uh, discolored. Okay. And um, let me go into real quickly some of the – well, there's a, I have another one. Ethnic cooking odor challenges. You, have you had to deal with that? I mean – Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, you, know, you, you know, regardless – you know, what your ethnic background is, you know, whether you're cooking corned beef and cabbage or you're using curry or other types of aromatic spices, particularly when you're cooking in oil. You know, these spices uh, are treasured because, number one, they smell good. Number two, they're pretty residual. So, again, what happens is we have these films that form uh, on interior surfaces of houses. It's a combination of the oil and those aromatic uh, spices that are there. So again, it's almost like a cigarette situation. You need contact spray or contact treat uh, those surfaces, and again, you're going to be involved in pretty heavy cleaning. Let's uh, before we go to the roundup. I, I have one question here that I'm curious about. Let's take your most challenging odor problem that you've ever had to work with, and, and were you able to resolve it, and how did you resolve it? I actually um, had 
the same odor or had similar odor removal challenges occur maybe about 15 or 20 years apart. And one of these was by telephone. You know, one of our clients called us. And the second uh, was more experienced personally in Pittsburgh. In the first situation, what had happened was a white supremacist group had rented a major hotel, and they were going to have a convention. And they rented it under an assumed name. So the hotel really didn't know who was coming. And then they kind of found out who was coming, and then they decided, well, we have the right to break the contract and bring in another group and so on and so forth. So actually what occurred was a case of what I would consider to be odor or chemical vandalism. What they did is they went into this facility and they actually deployed a chemical called isovaleric acid. Isovaleric acid kind of smells like sweat. And what they had done is they had actually sprinkled it in a couple of areas. And literally the whole hotel was shut down and it smelled terribly. And we had no idea what it was. Except at the time, uh, our company had a gas, had gas chromatography equipment. So what we did is we asked them to try to isolate where it was, get us a sample. We realized we were able to identify that it was this isovaleric acid. And what we had them do is actually tape glass over top of it with duct tape. So they actually took glass, taped it over the carpet, taped it over these areas while the analysis could be done. And then we ended up removing those contaminated surfaces and then using oxidizers in order to eliminate it. Then we had the same problem uh, in Pittsburgh with uh, birth control clinics. Uh, they were actually attacked, and again, it was this chemical vandalism. In this case, they used a, a relative to isovaleric acid, which I'm sure, Joe, you and other people in indoor air quality know, which is butyric acid, and it smells even worse than isovaleric acid, but again, it's this sweaty, uh, dirty sock-type odor. Interesting, interesting. Let's uh, let's go to the roundup, guys. We've got about six minutes left. Move them on, hit them up, hit them up. Move them on, move them on, hit them up, raw high. Excuse me. Dieter, do we have you back on the line? I am here. I'll guarantee you've got a couple comments on this one. <laughs> well, they may have nothing to do with order. <laughs> That's all right. That's fine. We're here to have fun, Dieter. <laughs> but I may I may uh, 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 tell uh, uh, Glenn. <clears throat> yes. Glenn, you're still there, Glenn? Yes, absolutely. Uh, you know that, that midlife crisis stuff. <laughs> oh, no. I had it when I was 20, when I was 30, when I was 40, when I was 50, when I was 60. There's no end to it. <laughs> you mean it. There's no cue for uh, for that. I plan to enjoy every minute of it. <laughs> oh, you liar. <laughs> no, I have, but, but, but on the other hand, I have one problem, or not one problem, one question. And I have several friends, including uh, one of our hosts, who have dogs, and some 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 people um, uh, made the decision to sleep with the dogs in their bed. I have a problem with that. There, there. The last time I counted, they have four legs, right? <laughs> and they're gonna run around outside all over the place, and now they go into your bed because they are sweet, lovable, and I I grew up with. Uh, two German shepherds in, in Germany. Uh, that has nothing to do with that. Uh, they were never ever in my bedroom. They were never ever in my bed. Uh, we talked about indoor, I mean, not necessarily smells, even though we know that they can do a couple of smells too. I That's that's one of my questions. Do we really want that? Should we do that? Should we encourage it? And yeah, and no, I don't, I don't have, I don't have a cure for the midlife crisis. <laughs> I'm curious if you have you Chem ever dealt with chemically, the... chemically or otherwise. <laughs> have you ever dealt with the uh, chemicals Cliff mentioned? The uh, no, I have not. Okay. I don't know them. 
uh, I know some common household odors which can be generated. We talked about those in our courses. Uh, but I do not know. I do not know that. Okay, I'm surprised. I thought maybe you yep. had done something with those. I no, also... I, have, I, I have not. I know, I know a ton of chemicals which, uh, with which I can kill a hell of a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, that's another show <laughs> All right. on how to kill people. Yeah. <laughs> I have a comment and a, and a question. All right. The comment I wanted to throw up is following what what Dieter was talking about very early in the show, the natural ventilation that he experienced in the Caribbean. I just got back from Jamaica. Oh, yep, same place. I stayed in a villa that had the windows had these shutters that you couldn't get to even close anywhere near completely. There was constantly a breeze through the house and never, ever any type of indoor air problem. And I've been going to Jamaica for many years. I have some good friends who are Jamaicans, and I've been to their homes. And I have to tell you, indoor air quality isn't really an issue. Now, the quality of the homes... It is not an issue. The quality of the homes in general is, you know, dramatically lower than the standards we're accustomed to. But really, it's it's amazing. So it makes a strong case for natural ventilation. The question I had, which I want to direct towards Cliff, you talked a lot about pet odors. One I don't think you talked about was fish tank odors. A lot of people have aquariums. You have an aquarium in your house, especially in the wintertime when it's dry. You're constantly getting evaporation off the water in the tank. It has a natural odor to it. What do you suggest for aquarium fans? And this is sort of a personal question because I've got a few aquariums in my house. I do, too. Okay. Um, I'm thinking that probably the safest thing to, to use would probably be activated carbon. And I think what I would do is go to the same pet store, uh, you know, where you buy your supplies, gather some uh, activated carbon. If you want, I'd be glad to send you some or send Dieter some because, you know, we kind of have it in bulk. And I think what I would try to do is, you know, put a tray of activated carbon or else potentially activated carbon in something like a woman's nylon stocking uh, or a man's tube sock that you could actually lay into those areas where you think the odor is being generated because a lot of the fish tanks you know that you've got a, uh, a cover on there with the lighting and and so on and so forth you know it would hey. seem that that should work quite well and last for quite a long time and as you both know it's absolutely harmless to the fish I'm going to try the approach, and you can ask me in two weeks how it worked. Okay, good. That sounds good. I also wanted to note I've got a couple questions here from uh, a DEP friend of mine that I'm going to have to post on the website. We'll put some questions up on the IAQ Radio website and some answers. And he also gave us a tip on um, odor wheels and how they're useful in categorizing odors in the field. I'll put the link to that up as well on iaqradio.com. Uh, it's also uh, has to do with understanding livestock odors for those of you that live in areas where there's you know livestock around. Oh, yeah. So we're going to uh, be very soon posting some new information on the uh, IAQ radio site. Before we go, uh, Cliff, anything that we missed here? I, I know there was a lot we wanted to talk about we didn't get a chance to, but any anything you'd like to add? No, I think that... Um you know, to the listeners, if you've got an odor problem, please call us. You know, it's kind of my job, you know, doing tech support. And, you know, we're not trying to sell you anything. We're just going to give you, you know, what we believe the right answer is. Well, it is always wonderful to solve all the problems that the whole world has between 12 o'clock and 1 o'clock on Friday. That's right. Yeah. And we did it again. Absolutely. I've got a I got a text question, Dieter. You don't like the the smell of whiskey, do you? Um, it it depends what her name is. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> Dieter, only I'm you sorry. Would come up with that. That's a I'm, I'm sorry. I uh, um, that's a no. I don't drink whiskey. Then I have no problem with that. I know that. you're a beer man, so I wasn't. Yeah, sure. Yes, I drink beer. I drink. Uh, I never, ever, ever in my whole life uh, uh, developed a taste for uh, whiskey, uh, so, so so be it. Tough one to if develop. It's, if right? it's 12, 15, or 20 years old, I don't care. Now, Cliff, could you give the listeners your number? You've sure, our number is 800. That's right. That's right. Our, our number would be 800-332-6037, and uh, our, if Glenn and Dieter are still on. Are, do you have saltwater fish or freshwater fish or both? 
I have freshwater fish, and I have another aquarium with a turtle in it. Now, that's a real odor generator. Okay, no problem. Uh, I was... Go ahead, Dieter. Uh, I was the biggest breeder of um, uh, fish in Pittsburgh. Uh, I had I, I had a minimum of 20 breeding aquariums in my house. we got to talk, because I used to be in this in my youth as well. And... And uh, I still have an aquarium downstairs without anything in it because I was too lazy to take it out of it, uh, out of here. Um, um, uh, angel, I, I, I was uh, the biggest breeder of angelfish in Pittsburgh. Okay. So those are freshwater? Yeah, cichlids. Yeah, oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yes, they are. Yes. Okay. That, Hard to keep alive. Yeah, actually, because what I'm going to do is I'm going to get your addresses and I'm going to send you something, actually, that... Wonderful. I, I believe you can. This is actually a liquid that you can put into the tank. It's it's uh, aquatically safe, and uh, this may uh, help resolve the problem for you. Because I know we've been using it here, and you know we ha- we just got an experimental fish tank here uh, yeah. for that I, purpose, and we've used it in ponds and stuff. Works quite well. I had I had never. I don't think. I don't think. Maybe I was wrong. I don't think I ever, ever had a, a, a smell from my fish tanks, ever. Yeah, but it might uh, be the... But, but on it, the other hand, I was breeding them, and I was con, uh, continuous cleaning the water. I mean, I mean, they, they, I, I, I developed a flow-through uh, uh, through system right. that continuously added water every day. Well, one of the challenges could be what you're feeding them. A lot of times if you're growing, you know, worms like micro worms yeah. and things like that in order to feed the fish, you know, you'll have issues with with uh, you know, yeah. with those areas. All right. Yeah, I bred I bred angelfish. I just did it for a hobby. I uh, and I gave it to a local uh, 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 store dealer over here and I said, "Look, you know, I'm done with them." I just I like to read them. Right. I haven't done I haven't done it in ten years. All right. Well, gentlemen, okay. let us know how your fish problems come out, huh? <laughs> sure will. Uh, I had uh, was I, I did <laughs> when I was in Saint Croix. I had uh, what the heck was that? Uh, what the hell did they call that? It's something. <laughs> but I ate a fish. <laughs> You ate, I'll bet you ate quite a few fish down there, Dater. All right. Uh, yep. Well, yep. gentlemen, I want to thank both of you for joining us on the roundup here. I also want to thank my co-host, Cliff Zlotnick, for uh, st- you know, actually being the guest today, and that was quite, quite a good time. I want to uh, make sure we send out a thank you here to CJ for helping us out. And, of course, of course. we got the wingman, Chris Boisel. Thank you, Chris, for joining us here. Most importantly, thanks to our listeners for continuing to tune in on Fridays at noon, and we'll see you here. We will be back next week, Friday at noon, then we'll take a couple weeks off. So join us again next Friday at noon for the next IAQ Radio. This has been another IAQ Radio production. 